podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Across the Pond Sports Podcast, part of the Across the Pond Sports Network. Um, coming up, we've got Chris Barnett. Um, now, unfortunately, Ryan's not with us this week. He's a bit poorly, a um, bit of a sore throat, so he's not going to be joining us. But we do have a good show for you with Chris. Um, and as always, you can get in contact with us um, through our social medias. Um, so you've got um, Instagram and Facebook, Across the Pond Sports Podcast, and Across the Pond Sports Network, and on Twitter at ATP Sports Pod, um, and on Clubhouse as well, ATP Sports. So get in contact with us, um, drop us any feedback, or if you have any questions, uh, we're thinking of maybe doing a mailbag kind of episode. So if you do have any questions, we can put that together. Um, other than that, I'm not going to beat about the bush. Let's get on with the show. So, joining us on Across the Pond Sports Podcast today is Chris Barnett. Um, Chris is part of the NBA on Clubhouse. Now, you've heard me talk about Clubhouse a lot. I am on there with Katie Brinkley, our NFL host, quite a lot. We've got the NHL guys on Clubhouse now as well, which is awesome. Um, However, going back to Chris, um, he has served in the US Army, was a chef, um, and also worked in veteran affairs. Um, Chris has entered into the sports media industry, um, looking at podcasts and obviously what you're doing on Clubhouse now as well. Um, you're getting right into it. Um, tell us more about Clubhouse and, and what you've got going on. Yeah, Clubhouse is a social media app that was developed to provide like an audio platform that people could get together on a conference call-like line. And, and I liken it to if anybody remembers the old uh, Yahoo and AOL chat rooms online, it's very similar to that, but all audio. And it's phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. It's opened uh, uh, bridges and doors and it provided equity to, to those who want to pursue their passions, whatever they may be, in a world where it's actually difficult necessarily at times to get the necessary requirements to do what you want. So it's kind of like if you want to be a chef and you want to work at a restaurant, a Michelin star restaurant, well, you have to go to James and Beard. You have to go to CIA at Hyde Park in New York or in San Francisco or any other of these, you know, storied culinary institutions. Then you have to go work the line. Then you have to work your way up. And then you get to be your own chef, and that's how it works. And Clubhouse essentially allows people to invest in themselves and their passions and kind of bypass certain regular avenues of requirements. So it's it's absolutely phenomenal. It's on the Apple iOS system uh, here in the States, and I know they're going to be pushing to Android uh, within the calendar year. So it's only going to expand. Um, so if you have not heard of it, I definitely suggest that you get on the computer and, and Google search it because it is definitely worthwhile in terms of use 
And actually, if you are an investor, it's worthy of investment opportunities as well. Yeah, it is a really good app. Me and uh, Katie have, have kind of, it, she got me on it, to be fair. Um, and it is so good for connecting with people. I've managed to connect to people with podcasting um, and obviously basketball as well. Um, and the rooms that, that you run and that you host. Um, and, and that's going really well for you guys. You guys even have like a schedule and everything of when you <laughs> run these rooms. Yeah, well... It's actually due to my friends, too. They brought me on, and, and they actually had to drag me out of a cave. Uh, <laughs> I'm a social media neophyte. I, I don't participate. I haven't participated. Uh, when when I was in the military, I left uh, to go to Iraq um, after 9-11, and the only social media that, that I understood was MySpace. So I don't know if anybody remembers MySpace, but that was like real cool. You could get music and talk to your friends. And then I come back and then all of a sudden there's this thing called Facebook and like everybody's on Facebook and I never really bought into it. I didn't really, you know, care for it. So I never uh, followed through. And then Twitter came out when I was deployed. <laughs> so I never got involved in Twitter. I, so yeah, I, I, I bypassed it, but they drug me out of my social media cave Um and we were already talking basketball for an hour or two a day. Royce, who's who's one of my uh, co-admins, he's a referee, a former player uh, in the military. Um, he also has a, a, his own media company. Then Lenny also played, and he also is a music executive, has his own music label. And I'm actually the only one who didn't play serious basketball, uh, but I'm actually probably the the one who's more intuitive in terms of explaining the processes of the game and doing analytical breakdowns uh, because I'm also an analytics guy. Uh, and we also based it off of fantasy basketball, which is a game. Uh, so they, they drug me out and I got on December 23rd, two days before Christmas. And it's been 74 days, 75 days. And uh, I am now at literally the pinnacle of basketball on clubhouse currently uh, in terms of popularity uh, and people sourcing me out for whatever reason, I get random invites now. It's absolutely hilarious. But yeah, it's it's definitely um, scheduled. We treat it like a business because it, it, we are essentially turning it into a business because there's just not enough independent media where you don't have a scripted narrative. And, and I think that's a commonality no matter where you live. Uh, what country you're in, there's always a scripted you know, narrative uh, by sports media, whether it's uh, Premier League, whether it's the NBA, whether it's the NFL, whether it's cricket, um, you know, talking to a lot of people across world from New Zealand, Australia to China to Scotland. Uh, I find that to be, you know, rather sad. And, and then like what we decided was to really provide a platform where everybody would be inclusive and have their opportunity to express their opinion. But more importantly, we actually became the singularly player focused space because essentially what we are saying is we understand the work you're putting in. We understand the grind that you're putting in and we understand the sacrifice that you're putting in. We also understand that you're getting paid handsomely but that doesn't change the fact that you're a person. And when we adopted that philosophy, uh, we really took off and it's been really well. Uh, we definitely want to thank Clubhouse uh, for providing that platform. 
Yeah, you guys have done a tremendous job. I jump in when I can. Obviously, time differences and stuff um, sometimes don't uh, help uh, myself, especially when the All-Star game's on at like one o'clock in the morning. Um, but uh, it is great. And what you guys have, have put together is so good. And I, I hear accents from all around the world asking questions and, and talking ball. And, and sometimes it's good just to be able to talk ball because I think when you live in a country like Scotland, basketball isn't huge it's not humongous all the guys I work with all talk soccer um so when I go to clubhouse and go into your rooms it's great just to be able to talk ball um so no I I really do enjoy that it's and what's really funny is like I'm the exact opposite like I I'm not a Premier League fan but I'm an international football fan and so like I will go into the the Premier League banter FC rooms uh, just to catch up on international football news, because here I, I literally have nobody to talk to it about. Like I, I my <laughs> neighbors are all football people, American football. So like I can't go say, hey, did you catch that? You know, Italy and France friendly. They look at me like, what? What are you talking about? Like, it's so I, I totally get what you're saying. Um, and that's just another great avenue that that clubhouse provides. Yeah, it has been really good. Um, so if anyone isn't in Clubhouse, um, you can DM me. Um, I've got a couple of invites. I have four invites. So um, if anyone wants to send me a DM, by all means do, and I can hook you up. You do have to be on Apple. Um, I do have to say that because it doesn't, isn't available on Android as yet. Um, now, Chris, um, you worked um, after retirement um, in healthcare uh, for veterans. Now, I was watching a TV program called Seals not so long ago. And one of the big stories from that was that um, ex-servicemen are, are struggle with healthcare um, because sometimes it depends on how much will be paid out to cover their um, costs. And sometimes it depends if the, the issue that has arisen is because of combat or not combat and these kind of things. Is the, the veterans... They're obviously they looked after as much as possible, but is there enough money going in to look after veterans after they come back from war? You know, it's that's a it's a multifaceted question. Even though you're you're asking a singular question here, the the first thing is that we have to understand that the VA itself, which is the Veterans Affairs, it's the uh, government bureaucracy department that's designed to take care of us veterans it's actually three separate entities and it's the vba which is the veterans benefits administration that's the uh, admin side those deal with uh, eligibility requirements that deals with your gi bill which is your education benefits uh, that deals with anything administratively functionary to what you deserve as a veteran then you have the national cemetery uh, which obviously is the National Cemetery. Any veteran is eligible to go, but that's its own entity wrapped up in the VA. And then you have the VHA, and that's the Veterans Healthcare Administration. And that's the part that's actually designed to take care of the medical needs. Now, there's a break in between the VBA and the VHA, and that's the determination of what somebody's compensatable amount is. So for me, who I'm a combat veteran and other combat veterans, uh, we generally have a higher amount of money coming to us monthly because of 
whatever ailments that we have procured during our, our time in service versus those who served and didn't have any exposure to combat, they still might have something that's actually compensable. Uh, hearing loss, you know, arthritis, uh, maybe there's a training accident. So we have to separate those three things. So the National Cemetery gets enough funding. The VBA gets enough funding. It's the VHA, uh, the actual healthcare apparatus of the VA that doesn't get enough funding. But then beyond that, it's not only that they don't get enough funding, it's that they don't spend that funding efficiently as well. So the way I explain it is this, is last year, 2020 fiscal year, their budget was about $110 billion. We sent people to the moon for $28 billion, which if you adjust for inflation is about $280 billion, but we did that over a 13 year period. So just imagine right now, just one year last year, fiscal year 2020, we could have sent somebody 80% of the way to the moon and back. That's so, <laughs> yeah. so when you say underfunded, well, when you say it that way, how can that be underfunded? Except that as our veteran population had an expansive boom because of uh, OIF and OEF, which is Operation Enduring Freedom and Operation Iraqi Freedom, which uh, the, the British uh, Royal Army and the forces were also part of, you know, we didn't, project far enough and put in enough. And then we also didn't have enough already made. Um, so in essence, we repeated some of the same mistakes that we did in Vietnam, uh, right after the Vietnam War. So unfortunately, that did happen. We can't take that back. But for a good six to eight year period, we, we were becoming more progressive. We were getting more funding. We were creating more programs. And then we had the last four years where it was more of a private privatization aspect. And I'm using air quotes because it was more of a, we're going to give you a blanket check, but then we're going to start taking away the money in that blanket check and move them over to these private entities outside of the government construct and pay a third party independent business to take care of you. And that is great for those who aren't near a VA installation. But those near VA installation, it really is a disservice because then that took away from the available money that would have already normally went into that VA installation. And therefore we had doctor shortages, nurse shortages, just like any other healthcare system in the world, you can only have as much as the talent pool allows you to have. But if you're not paying the talent pool correctly enough, people are going to be burnt out and say, you know what? $38,000 as a librarian is a really good gig right now. And I saw a nurse who left a $80,000 job to go be a librarian for $38,000. Wow. Less stress, simple hours, easier job. And more importantly, she felt appreciated and fulfilled. And then that was the other aspect. When you don't fund correctly, you can't show the appreciation because as a society, our main compensation for appreciation is the paycheck we earn. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's definitely a multifaceted problem, but then you get into the spending and 
then you go down in completely Your different rabbit holes. <laughs> yeah. See, I think we're lucky in the UK. We don't hear about issues with veterans and healthcare because healthcare in the UK is free. Um, yep. Well, it's not free. You, you pay part of your national contributions, um, sort of a, a tax um, that goes towards the National Health Service. So I think in the UK, we are exceptionally lucky um, to, to have what we have. Um, obviously, we're a much smaller country. So um, well, what's, what's funny is we have that. We actually have those programs and you just have to be a certain age to be eligible. And we, for years, for some reason, have just refused to uh, convert over to what I call a burden sharing healthcare system, because that's essentially what you have is a burden sharing healthcare system. Um, and we just have always been historically in this country, you know, our own person. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's one of those things where um, healthcare in the States has always been expensive. I always make sure when I come to the States, I take out a, like a max plan kind of thing uh, in terms of travel insurance. Um, I've got a few medical issues and if I need an MRI, that's $5,000 straight off the bat. So um, yeah, I always make sure I've come over well covered. Now, when you came back um, and from deployment, you, you went back to school um not that, right that, away but i did yeah that that must have been quite tough because i mean i didn't i tried to go to college after high school um and i lasted about two weeks um so um but going back later in life that that must have been that must have been a bit of a, a shock to the system well i i went twice so i i went to culinary school and then i graduated culinary school first and i did that uh, I want to say at the age of 28 or 29, uh, and that was in California. Uh, and then I actually worked for a great chef. His name is James Attackin. Uh He's out in Hawaii right now. Uh, he, next Food Network star, uh, Restaurant Wars, Catering Wars uh, on TV, uh, really big uh, catering services on the West Coast and uh, Val Vista to San Francisco, uh, Napa and Sonoma Valley. And I did that. Um, when I was married and, and that didn't work out like so many didn't and then uh, moved to where I'm at now in Indiana in the States. And as a single father, I, I went to go work for the VA. Uh, and then, like we were talking about, the, the compensation and appreciation factor just simply wasn't there. Uh, I was very good at my job. I was in, responsible for the entire state minus three counties uh, for all of the veteran care for primary care, you know, new patients coming in. Um, but I needed something different, so I, I gave them two months to replace me, and I would train the people, and uh, then I went to school at Indiana, Indianapolis University, Purdue University, oh, sorry, Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis, IUPUI. It's a joint campus of two universities that they made its own university, and I struggled. It was absolutely nerve-wracking. Um, as a combat vet, I suffer from PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder. I'm sure everybody's familiar with what it is. I have several other identifiers you can add on to it to, to actually specifically tell you how messed up I can be at times in terms of uh, perception of noises, sounds, uh, sensations. But what was really difficult was the interacting in person. And it wasn't just with the teachers uh, because I was either at the same age or even older than some of the teachers, but it was the crowds and the younger 
individuals. It, it was such a culture difference. And, and we talk about how generations kind of phase out into culture, uh, Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, all that stuff. But what it was was simply life experience of culture. They, the, everybody in that school did not know what it was like going across the world to go to combat. They didn't know what it was like to not have running water, you know, uh, until you got running water. They didn't realize what it was like to have to uh, eat food that wasn't really great. And like all of this is like a shared commonality that every veteran has that, you know, regular people don't. So that was what was really difficult was the relation between 18 and 19 year olds and myself. Um, and then, uh, like I say, like this also, I grew up with a rotary phone. <laughs> I mean, I remember playing with my rotary phone uh, and I grew up, you know, having to change the TV channels because we didn't have a remote. Yeah, you had to go I, off I, your ass to the TV. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, or, or my favorite now, because when I was a kid, I hated it. I remember receiving letters and using a letter opener to open the letter and ha having to read a letter and then having to write a letter back and put it in the post to, to get it to mail off. And like now I, I, I'm like, I wish somebody would write me a letter. <laughs> yeah, whenever I, I get a letter, it's a bill. <laughs> exactly. Right. Like I just got my cable bill and it's like 89.95. And I'm like, why? I don't even watch TV anymore. Like, <laughs> but yeah, so it was that type of culture shock. And everybody that I saw, they started talking in 144 characters or less. And so you couldn't even have a conversation. Yeah. That's something that, yeah, I think when everyone said, oh, everyone will get online and everyone can connect. But what what I think they forgot would happen, and I think Clubhouse, actually going back to that, has helped kind of maybe bridge that gap, is everyone's typing. No one's actually talking. Yes, we're communicating, and that's great. Absolutely. Everyone's typing. Whereas now Clubhouse has kind of circled social media back to make it social again because people are actually talking. So, I mean, that that is really good. I mean, one thing that, that has come out of Clubhouse for myself is um, on Wednesday last week, we had the gear, uh, sorry, the Ram 21 team who are cycling across America um, in aid of um, raising money for kids' cancer research. Uh, they're going to raise $500,000. It's a five-day race, 3,000 miles or something from San Diego to Annapolis. Crazy. Um, that's all I'm saying. Now, the, the guys that are racing have all had cancer, the eight-man the eight team. Um, they're all in remission, all doing very well and obviously very fit now because they're having to race across America on a bike. Um, but you yourself, you, you had a bit of a cancer scare um, recently as well. Yeah, in fact, it was actually when I was at school about two months into it, and I, I don't want to get too graphic, but I, I would just say that uh, I, I had dropped 15 to 18 pounds. Um, I was vomiting. Uh, I, I was having digestive issues with blood, and it was just really bad. Like at one point, I remember um, trying to get up to go pick my son up out of his bed to take him to um, his primary school because he, he goes to a, a Montessori school. He doesn't go to traditional uh, public school for uh, elementary education. And I fell. Like I had gotten up and it wasn't syncope. Like it wasn't, 
you know, the, the vertical axis falling out from under me, I just simply physically couldn't stand. Um, and when I fell, like the pain that was in my stomach was absolutely phenomenally, it was like being stabbed. Um, and for, for me, uh, being blown up out of my truck, <laughs> like I woke up, I understand like, in essence, my pain level is higher, but man, it, it was bad. And like, I, I let out a blood screaming, you know, shout, um, scared my son half to death. And I went into the emergency room uh, and they found absolutely nothing wrong, like zero wrong. Uh, so they did a lot of blood work. Uh, then I had a false positive for colon rectal cancer. And so I go see the oncologist and he's explained to me, you know, oh, it's a false positive. We just ran these tests again. What we think it is, is you're having a, an immuno response to being exposed to like depleted uranium and some other stuff. Uh, and we were, the, the plan of action was going to get colonoscopy after colonoscopy. Um, but none of the symptoms were going away. And, you know, we went from colon rectal cancer to blood cancer to adrenal cancer. And all of these kept coming back as false positives. So then the oncologist said, basically, I don't know what's going on. We're going to put you on a low dose chemotherapy regimen. Um, and I did that for eight months. Uh, I don't want to get into how I did it, but like six weeks at a time. And uh, I got my letter last year, January, uh, that no, no sign of cancer. My white blood cell count were somewhat stabilized. They were still woefully low because of the thing. But in terms of they weren't dropping to the point where a common cold would put me in the hospital, you know, in ICU. Uh, but then, of course, after I get that letter and I get cleared and I'm putting weight back on, like I gained 35 pounds, like within two weeks, man, like uh, sausage gravy, a whole bunch of bread stuffing, all this stuff and just pounding it away. All the good stuff. Yeah, all the good stuff. Um, the the pandemic happens, and uh, my oncologist gets with my uh, primary care and said, "This guy can't go out in the real world right now." And that's what really was was what was worse for me is like the the my my son is what gave me my power to just wake up and go through my treatments without any complaints. You know, I I drove myself to like ninety five percent of them. And I drove home, like only only on the colonoscopies and like on three separate occasions was like too weak to drive that, that my aunt drove me. Um, but then when I came back, you know, and I'm feeling great. And then I'm told like, dude, you can't go out there because if you get this coronavirus thing, like not only would you be in the hospital, like there's no way that you would, you would survive. Like there's no beds for you, first of all. Um, and that was like really the scary part. So I had to make the uh, determination that I would actually not go back to work. Uh, so, you know, you know, I obviously wasn't going to school or working while I was getting treatment. So now I'm extending on to this uh, whole pandemic issue. And then uh, sadly enough, my mother well, was diagnosed with uh, lung cancer. But then, you know, that she smoked two packs a day for, you know, 40 years. Uh, and that's when because and she's of that too but she never joined the va so she was paying all that stuff out of pocket so once her insurance you know premiums went up she was then paying out of pocket um and she passed away in january so like now we're both but we're sharing this experience and it made our relationship stronger uh, and, and that's really like how i got through it 
right? Like it was just for me, there was a, a goal at the end and all I had to do was put one foot in front of the other and I'll reach my goal. Um, and so as long as I kept moving, I felt like I was fine. Uh, the, then going into the pandemic, there was a, a scare that I might have a relapse that, that um, I, I started over again. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been clear, so I haven't had to, to do any another round of uh, low dose chemo. But I can't even claim that I'm in remission because I was never given a full positive diagnosis uh, of cancer. And, and I will say that uh, cancer misdiagnoses are on the rise, or I should say misdiagnoses are on the rise. So it's very important that, you know, if you think you have it, you maintain dialogue with your primary care provider and your oncologist. Um, because right now here in the States, it's like almost four in every 10 diagnoses are incorrect, right? So it, it's very important. So I do, I'm, I'm very appreciative that you're asking that question. Uh, it was definitely scary but what was scarier for me was not knowing what was wrong. Yeah. I mean, it's bad enough having cancer um, and dealing with that. But then for you, it's the uncertainty as, oh, I don't know if I have it or not. And yeah, I mean, that would probably keep, the cancer probably keeps most people up at night. Um, uh, but for you, there's that added uncertainty as what could be or it couldn't be. And yeah. And yeah, that's. Well, I mean, we we went from uh, they we I did colonoscopies every week. Uh, there was never there were there was never any polyps. There was no diverticulitis. There was no colitis. There was no glandular issue. There was no liver issue. Uh, every LFT or your liver function test that I had uh, was fine. There was no rheumatology issue. So my kidneys were fine. There was no blood circulatory issues. Um, it really was uh, a autoimmune issue that mimicked cancer is what what we are kind of believing is, is what yeah. it is so like yeah if you think you have it get checked but be sure that you keep in contact with your, your primary care provider your doctor and your oncologist yeah so my wife she had to stay in home as well she has autoimmune disease of the liver um so she was very much like you she was stuck at home for the whole lockdown she's now had the the vaccine thankfully so she can kind of venture outward until she obviously broke her foot last week which was uh, a whole oh, other man. story uh, <laughs> lucky her um what we'll do is uh, we're gonna take a quick break and then we'll be right back to talk about all-star weekend So by now, you'll have seen our website, atpsports.net. You're going to admit, it's pretty awesome. It was brought to you by the team at Data Squared. You can find them on the web, datasq2.co.uk. They're dedicated to bringing you the very best in website design, hosting, and security. Their aim is to provide you with the very best package you need to help you spread the word about your business. Data Squared will design and build a website for you. And they'll build it not just for desktop, but for all devices so you can be seen on the move. Data Squared will help you choose your domain, making sure it's relevant to you and your business. And they'll open up an online store for you. They have the tools um, so you can keep track of customers, their orders, stock and much, much more. So why not expand your business online today with Data Squared? Visit datasq2.co.uk. With Chris, and we are going to be talking All Star Weekend. Um, so the first thing to talk about is, wow, what a three point contest! Mike Conley, Steph Curry, Steph Curry wins it with the last ball. Um, 
I was very proud because Conley's my boy and, um, you know, big jazz guy. And, but Curry, I've always been a fan of Curry and him and Thompson. I like it when those two guys are kind of shooting threes um, because it is almost in a game, it's almost like a competition between the two of them. Um, but this was actually probably one of the better three-point contests of the last few years, wouldn't you think? Yeah, and uh, shout out to Mike Conley. He, he should have made it as a Grizzly uh, in the 2014-2015 season. So shout out to Mike Conley. I hope he hears this. Uh, Well-deserved. Uh, I do feel, though, is that it, it was more of a career appreciation. And I, and I think that's so totally not fair. As I said, I, I, he was robbed uh, in, in the 2014-2015 season. Uh, and nobody gave him any chance to, to beat Curry in a three-point contest. Uh, I know I didn't. Um, and he was shooting the laces off the ball. I mean, right out the gate, he was shooting the laces off the ball. But what I'll say is uh, they had that orange mountain, that, they're not orange, the green Mountain Dew ball, in the, you know, 30 feet out. They put that in there specifically for Curry. Like, that, that was his shot. And, you know, when he started out slow, I was like, ah, there's no way. He's going to hit that one shot and then go on some magnanimous run. And sure enough, that's what happened. And then I'm in the room saying, hey, Curry's doing Curry things again. Like, I, I don't think there's been a better shooter in terms of form uh, than Steph Curry. Like, the closest that I have modern is Ray Allen, uh, which I was a huge fan of Ray Allen. Beautiful jump shot form. Uh, and then the other one would be uh, Del Demps and Del Curry, uh, Del Curry being Steph Curry's father, another beautiful shooting form. Um, and maybe, maybe Reggie Miller. But Steph Curry is absolutely phenomenal at what he does. And, and to say, uh, you know, Clay and Steph, I, I've always said this, that Clay Thompson provides the most valuable one and a half inches of real estate in the history of the NBA because he was so lethal. And I'm saying was because he's out for the season. He was so lethal that his man couldn't do a pre-rotation uh, for a defensive setup and it would allow Curry to come off a staggered screen. And so the defense was forced to choose, are we going to roll over to cover the roll man by the basket, then allow Draymond to pass it to Clay? Or are we going to stay on Clay and then move with the roll man? And then Steph Curry comes up open for a three. So shout out to Clay Thompson, most valuable inch and a half to two inches in the history of the NBA. And it, it, it's absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I could go in hours about the Golden State Warriors and what Steve Kerr was able to do to, to basically bridge three separate offensive philosophies into one. It, it's pure, beautiful shooting. Uh, however, I do think it does take away from some aspects of other elements of the game that I enjoy, like post-play. Uh, unfortunately, with the way that it has been so successful uh, and imitation is the best form of flattery, the league ran right after them, and we're losing a lot of good post-players that we would be seeing such as like Al Jefferson, if he was playing nowadays would not be as relevant in the league um, and another post plays, but then that's also a byproduct of me growing up and watching in the eighties and nineties. Yeah. And I think when you had big men in the eighties and nineties, they were big men. Shaq is, is obviously probably the biggest um, him and Yao Ming, you know, they had some battles, but we don't really see big men having those types of battles now, but Curry, 
hats off to him. He he wins the three point contest and uh, he does a magnificent job. And like you say, he's a pure pure three point shooter. It's, um, it's not even fair. It's not even fair anymore. <laughs> he shouldn't. He should not be allowed to participate. <laughs> <laughs> well, if he wasn't, then Conley would win, so that'd be fine. Um, <laughs> Anthony Simmons uh, has won. Simons, the dunk. It's, it's Anthony Simons. Simons um, has, has won the dunk contest. Now, I have kind of went off the dunk contest in, in previous years because it's not really that exciting. And I think the only thing that made it exciting in the past was you'd have cameos of other players or stars come in to kind of like you had Kevin Hart come in and do like throw the ball up and that kind of stuff. This was, and, and you've always got the crowd as well. And I think we'll talk about the all-star game later, but I think the crowd of an all-star weekend is different to that of an NBA game. Um, mostly probably because a lot of players and families and stuff are there. Um, the, it's a win and he takes it and it was a good dunk and everything looks nice, but just in terms of atmosphere, just, it, it, it was lackluster. Yeah. You can it say just, it. It was lackluster. It, it was lackluster. I was trying to be polite, but yeah, it, it just didn't, it just didn't win me over like as in previous years. Oh yeah. I, I actually made the point that Cassius Stanley had the best dunk of that entire competition and it was his first dunk. Um, Anthony Simons won on the idea that he was going to try to kiss the rim. First, he didn't get high enough. Second, he didn't get close enough. If you watch, if you go back right now and watch Cassius Stanley's first dunk, he got high enough to kiss the rim if he had wanted to kiss the rim. And part of the issue with that is also that it was Cassius Stanley and nobody knows who he is unless you are really, really big into basketball. He played at Duke. He had a 44 uh, inch standing vertical in the NBA combine. And he's a great athlete. And he went first. And that was the problem. Had he gone second, had Obi Toppin gone first, or had Anthony Simons gone first, I think we're talking a different story. Um, if Cassius Stanley was in the league playing mil- minutes relevantly, I think we also have a different story. But in itself, it was just, it was lackluster and it was added because they needed to add something to halftime. And you know, we can talk about whether or not they should have the game. They're obviously going to have the game once they realize they could have it. There's financial obligations and, and other stuff, but they still could have done a better job with the, the dunk contest. But yeah. st- seriously, Anthony Simon, six, two and three quarters still can get up there. I'm not trying to take it away from him. I, I just think the, the rushed nature of it made it almost untenable to have a really good dunk contest. Yeah, we, we've seen some good battles over the years. Um, and, and yeah, this I don't think this was a classic. And when you talk about players that that haven't don't have a big profile, I mean, Jeremy Evans, when he was at the Jazz, he won the dunk contest. And, I mean, he was barely averaging two minutes a game um, for the Jazz uh, back when he won it. So, um, Sabonis. Now, I'm a big Sabonis fan. Obviously, he's a, a, an Indiana Pacers player. Um, he won the skills challenge. Um, he is, and I have always, as I say, been a big fan of his. Um, would love to see him in a jazz uniform. But in Indiana, he, he's the big man and he's really come on and really matured over the last few years. Um, but his game for a skills challenge is perfect, isn't it? It, it is. I mean, I'm still kind of. Um, upset the fact that 
Chris Paul or Luka Doncic didn't win. I mean, you would think in a skills challenge that they would have an upper hand. I mean, Sabonis has already won once, but he's a underrated passer. He's an underrated shooter. Um, and now apparently he's also underrated ball handler. Who who would have known about that? Um, but it really is a testament to his dedication to his sport. You know, he wants to honor his father, uh, Arvita Sabonis, who if people don't know, you should probably Google that. It's a great rabbit hole. Uh, he was a Soviet player in Soviet Russia until the fall of the Berlin Wall. And then uh, he played for Lithuania. And if you don't want to do the rabbit hole, you can uh, find the documentary, The Other Dream Team, and it actually chronicles the 1992 Lithuania national team. Like they had no money. They had to get sponsors from America to bring them over. They played in tie-dye jerseys, guys. It's absolutely insane. And he honors his father. And he plays phenomenally like his father. So shout out to DeMontis Sabonis and the Indiana Pacers. And real quick side note, the fact that the, the jerseys were blue and gold were was because that the All-Star game was supposed to be in Indianapolis this year and it was moved to Atlanta because originally it was canceled and then the NCAA moved March Madness to Indianapolis. So that's why they had those Pacers colored jerseys. But shout out again, DeMontis Sabonis, phenomenal player. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. Um, and I think he is he is an underrated player and has been for, for a long time. And I just hope that he, over the next couple of years, continues to mature um, because he has got a great game and, and one that would fit a lot of potential championship teams as well. So a uh, big shout out to him. Now, before we talk about the All-Star game itself, before the All-Star game, there was an announcement that two All-Stars wouldn't be playing. Um, because they decided to get a haircut. So Ben Simmons and uh, Joel Embiid uh, went out for a haircut. Turns out that potentially the barber that they went to or they used or went to their house or whatever um, uh, potentially has COVID. Um, so they were kind of ruled out on contact tracing. Um, yeah. It's just I'm a Sixers fan too. Yeah, I'm a Sixers fan, so I'm not happy. I'm really not happy. So they they missed the All-Star game. And, you know, there there is this thing about the All-Star game, and we'll get into the All-Star game itself um, from yesterday, but in terms of years gone by, there is this thing where, you know, it's everyone goes. And this year I was, my concern was that people would turn up from all these different teams, come from, fly in from all these different places and fly back and potentially pass on COVID and, and go back to their teams with COVID. The fact that the NBA have managed to catch this before these guys could kind of mingle and, and everything else, um, I think has been actually testament to the NBA. I, I've given them some criticism for, for the way that they've kind of handled things, but uh, this actually probably is quite a good thing that they've kind of nipped this in the bud and that the hope is, I still don't like that all these players came together from, from all these different places, but they managed to nip this in the bud at least well we we hope that they did we we still yeah. won't know for another seven to ten days but the the nba being the most progressive professional sports team in the world and that's my firm belief they, they test these guys multiple times a day multiple times a week um they they actually test the ancillary staff around them multiple times a day multiple times a week um but this was just such an egregious error by by joel Embiid and ben simmons uh, in terms of they were 
you're given an itinerary and, and, you know, you know what you need to do. And these players flew in and they were stuck in their hotel room. Like they're, they weren't supposed to be leaving their hotel room. Um, and even before, like when you were selected, I'm sure they were probably told like, Hey, you're going to do this. You know, you need to do an extra precaution, but like at the same point, I don't want them to not live their life. Right. And, and that's where we get into this, this great discussion of, of who's really culpable. Is it really the barber? Well, you can't really say it's the barber because he's barbering to, to pay his bills. Is it the players? Can't really say it's the players because they're just like us. They need to live their everyday life. Is it the league? Well, the league has taken every precaution that it can to ensure that, you know, they don't have a super spreader event that, you know, knocks out every single superstar. And, and what it comes down to is simply – Sometimes you have to self-govern yourself and sometimes you have to say, man, I need a haircut. It's not really needed, even though I feel as though I need it. Um, And that's where self-governance comes in. And I think this is a great time and a teachable and learning moment. Uh, And I think what the league will do is they'll actually take what happened uh, to, and the same thing happened to Kansas city, by the way, the chiefs, Uh, they'll take this, And they'll probably even make it harder for the ancillary staff uh, to be non-team sanctioned. So now every team is going to have to go out and get a barber. Okay, there, problem solved. And they'll tell the barber, we'll give you 30 grand and all you do is cut our guys' hair. (laughs) Well, problem solved. There you go. Awesome. Uh, We've got the haircut and sorted out for the NBA team. So, um, yeah, we could write us some checks that'd be awesome i could do with a haircut as well um what we'll do is uh, we're going to talk about the all-star game and also chris's top five uh, sports films of all time uh we'll do that right after this break okay so we're back with chris and we're going to now look at the all-star game itself the, the main event from all-star weekend um it was I mean, we never see defense in all-star games, and I suppose you have to go in looking at it's, it's an exhibition. But, geez, we had Chris Paul, Duncan. We had Steph Curry, Duncan. In fact, hanging on the rim. Dunks. These were alley-oops, and, and, yeah, hanging on the rim. Um, one thing I did notice, though, however, is that not so much on LeBron's team, um, but on Durant's team, some of the minutes that those guys were playing – was like half an hour and I was kind of like yes it's all-star weekend and yeah you have a laugh and a joke and you know play some basketball but I mean some of these guys were playing half an hour the all-star break this year isn't nearly as long as it normally is I'm sure those teams coaches are probably looking at that game thinking take them off take them off (laughs) (laughs) yeah um they generally go in with like an understanding about you know, shared minutes in the all-star game, but they understand also that the bigger names are going to want to be the most visible by the league. And so when you see like Harden, Irving and Beal get 30 minutes, you know, you're kind of like, oh, I can tell Steve Nash is furious right now. He's probably wondering why they're not giving, you know, extra minutes to Nikola Vucevic, who's Orlando magic is like, you know, 13 and 19 or something like that. Uh, or even um, Zach Levine, uh, who is younger, you know, or some of the, you know, Zion only had 14. Jason Tatum only had 17. And I get it. Like, there's there's a 
amount of star power that's needed, you know, but then like LeBron played 13 minutes, guys. You know what I mean? Like he played 13 minutes. Um, Gobert played 13 minutes. Jokic played 19. Giannis played 19, you know, but then Luka Doncic played 32 and Chris Paul played 31. So it's, it's definitely, you know, there's no easy answer, but like usually they try to get everybody 20 minutes. Uh, so it's, it's even and it's fair and it's shared. Um, the game itself, obviously, like everybody says there's, there's no defense, but I mean, I, I attempted to call the game on Colorcast, which is a broadcasting social media app. And by five minutes in the first quarter, I gave myself heartburn because I was calling every single play action as if it was a regular game. And I just couldn't keep up. I was swallowing so much air trying to keep pace <laughs> that I gave myself heartburn. And I said, that's it. I'm not going to do it anymore. Um, but yeah, it's the, the pace is frenetic. It's a frenetic offensive game. Um, uh, Giannis, I think I'm tend to complete. See, I'm messing up. GA, <laughs> 19 minutes, 16 for 16, man. Three that for was three. pretty impressive. Yeah, just impressive. absolutely crazy numbers. Uh, Curry took 20 shots essentially in 20 minutes. Like 19 shots, 22 minutes. He's at like a shot every minute and uh, eight seconds, right? Damian Lillard, a shot for every minute played. Um, so th- these are numbers that we just aren't going to see in regular games. And, and that's what is supposed to make it enjoyable. But at some point, it does kind of get out of hand. Yeah, it, it does. And, and I think we see it every year. Um, you know, there's, there's no defense and, and people want to see the flashy dunks and, you know, the, all, all the kind of long Team Durant shots. took 72 three-pointers. Yeah, I mean, that like they was... took 72. I mean, they only made 27, but they took 72. Yeah, oh, it was crazy. I think the reason Gobert probably only played 12 minutes is because uh, Coach Snyder was the, the coach of that team. So that's probably <laughs> why he only played. And of course, LeBron is obviously a coach as well. So he's probably coached himself to only play 12 minutes. Um, so I'd imagine. Um, but yeah, I think on that team, actually, all but Chris Paul probably played 20 or 20 so minutes. Chris Paul was up at 31. But that other team, like you say, Bradley Beal, Irvin, Zach Levine played 28. Donovan Mitchell played 28. Harden played 31. Um, but the rest of the guys, like Conley and stuff, you know, 12 and 14. But it, it's a good advert for the sport because you do get to see a lot of kind of hijinks and, you know, messing around and stuff. And one thing I've always liked about the All-Star game, All-Star weekend is you kind of get to see guys a bit more relaxed because obviously when you're in a season and you're going, you know, you're focused. These guys are focused and they've got a singular focus to win games, make the playoffs, win the championship. But what you love about the All-Star game is it's like it's like a break mentally for them, not just physically. So mentally they can kind of chill out, relax, sit back and, and just enjoy the weekend. Yeah, I mean, that's normally how it goes. Uh, it didn't go that way this year. I, I said it once before. Like, these guys are actually locked in their hotel rooms until they were allowed to start warming up. So, like, the moment they got in Atlanta and they got to the hotel, they were not even allowed to go see each other. So, like, it, yeah. So, I don't understand um, how anybody can complain about Luka Doncic wearing his warm-ups during the skills competition when he's like, 
guys, I was in my hotel room, not allowed to go anywhere for like 24 hours prior. Like, do you really think I want to be here right now? And I think you saw some of that in the game too. It's like, you know, some of the, now once the game starts and they get live, you think the competitive action goes and, the, and they start playing, but like the entire time leading up, it, it was so surreal uh, that those who had been in the all-star game that like I'm talking to in, in my direct messages that are covering the game, they're like, man, this is not an all-star game. Like it was like a preseason exhibition uh, atmosphere. Like, you know, it was flat in the arena. Uh, I mean, I even joked, like they cut away to the dancing crew that was in front of one of the jumbotrons and they like, they were dancing, but like they were dancing to six people, <laughs> like only six people were watching them. Um, so yeah, I get it. Um, I'm, I'm still rather grateful though, because it, it does uh, give us an, an opportunity to be entertained. Um, and it does allow them to get their faces out there. Uh, and that's really for the player, you know, what's important is being seen. And, and like, there were great moments in the game. Um, like Giannis had a step back fadeaway three that banked. Uh, that went in, and and that was absolutely hilarious. The Steph Curry alley oop from Chris Paul, where he hung off the rim, I, I thought that was excellent. Um, but you know, it, it, we we have to take it with a, a grain of salt, you know, and, and accept it for what it is. And and it was still enjoyable. Uh, and I found that it, it's more enjoyable, you know, than not, right? Like, just everybody remember what we were like last year, you know, or, or six months ago. You know, so, you know, I think we have to, to take it like that and, and take it hand in hand and, and understand that it, it was the best that they could do. And at the players themselves, you know, once they got into the game, it, it was good. Yeah, I think once you got to see guys kind of more enjoying it and kind of getting into the flow of it, um, it did uh, Steph Curry was my highlight of the, the game. Um, his long, long threes, um, logo threes, as they're called. Oh, um, we didn't even talk Dame Lillard. With the game I winner, mean, one step yeah. across half court. I mean, they were just bombing them. And and sometimes I think, you know, that's a bit out of the realms of, of possibility. But the fact that they were actually making those shots um, was, was pretty spectacular. Did get to see Gobert kind of dunk it and stuff and get an alley-oop, um, which was pretty cool. I think he got it from LeBron as well. Um, those two, obviously in the media recently, have kind of locked horns, but um, some comments made on both sides. But other than that, I mean, it was a, it was all right. Like you say, it was probably more like a, an exhibition kind of preseason game. But it is what it is. We've managed to to get out of an all star game, and and uh, it was it was pretty entertaining. Um, but yeah, I, I still go back. I, I, I still think that defense can be played in all-star games, but um, we'll, we'll have to see how that works uh, next year. Um, now, just before we go, what we're going to do is, as you, it's the first time you've been on, Chris, we're just going to cover off your top five sports films of all time. And we're going to start with your fifth and work your way to the, the, your top. Um, so what is your number five? Uh, my number five is a baseball movie. Uh, it is Major League. It has Charlie Sheen in it. It has Wesley Snipes in it. Uh, it goes uh, something like a showgirl who wants to move the team to a different area after inheriting it, wants the team to be so bad uh, that they hire a over-the-hill 
you know, getting passed him by manager. They bring in a whole bunch of rejects and they end up becoming the lovable losers. Uh, and they end up, you know, winning enough games where the team stays. And it, it's just absolutely bad acting on all parts, but I, I found it very, you know, funny. Um, so that would be my number five, uh, Major League. Major League, okay. And your number four? Uh, my number four is actually a hockey movie. Um, when my when my dad was stationed in upstate New York, I played hockey. Uh, it's Miracle, and it's based off of the American hockey team that faced off uh, against the Soviet Union uh, in the 1980 Winter Olympics, uh, and and they had no right to even be in that game. Uh, everybody on the Soviet team were professionals, and my only professionals, they were arguably the best in the world. Uh, and the American team was a whole bunch of uh, amateurs, college players. Just out of college, yeah. Just out of college. Uh, it's a great film. Yeah. It is and, a great and, film. Um, it's come up, that, that film has come up a number of times. Um, it's a total uh, great film and the, the whole line of who do you play for kind of thing, um, I think plays really well in that. I think that film's aged well as well. Um, and what is your number three? Uh, my number my number three movie is probably Rudy. Um, I don't know if anybody brought it up uh, before. It's it's it was a my story. number one. It's your number one. Yeah, yeah. It's it's my number three, and and like I probably like it for a completely different reason. Um, Charles S. Dutton's character in Rudy uh, is one of the best written characters in the history of sports movies. Um, he's the guy who uh, keeps Rudy focused and engaged throughout the movie as, as a kind of like a pseudo uh, antagonist. And in the end, you know, I still remember him clapping, you know, just this odd looking clap. It was and, an and, odd one. Yeah, it was. Um, so Rudy would probably be uh, three. Um, number two would be a, another baseball movie. But I don't know if you guys are, are are aware of it. It's called the Bingo Long Traveling All Stars and Motor Kings. Never heard of it. Gonna be honest. It has uh, James Earl Jones, um, and it has Billy D. Williams, and it's about Negro League baseball, uh, and it's essentially about barnstorming. And this is what uh, we as African Americans before real integration into sports had to do. The Harlem Globetrotters also did this. They barnstormed. They would get in the bus. They would say, we'll go anywhere, anytime, play anybody. And uh, it, it's it's a comedy and it's a drama, so it's a dramedy. But the bingo long uh, traveling all-stars and, and, and motor kings, that, that's, that's number two. Gonna have to look um, that one up. And what is your number one? Number one, I have a tie. I know that's not fair. Ooh. I have a tie. Controversy. Oh, yeah, controversy. Uh, remember the Titans with Denzel Washington and then Rocky. So, um, I just first time Rocky's come up. Um, however, um, remember the Titans has, has come up on more than one occasion. Um, but yeah, Rocky, there was, I assume Rocky won. Yes, yes, Rocky yeah, won. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, Rocky was a great film. Um, I 
I love that film. I love the, the kind of series of films, to be fair, um, with the exception of number five. Um, but but I, I, I will not, like, I still have yet to date passed up an opportunity if Rocky's on the television. Oh, yeah. Like, if, if you're flicking through channels and it's on, yeah. then, yeah, you just leave it on. Yeah, and, and people are like, why, why? It's like, well, first, you have to, you have to learn how Sylvester Stallone even put this movie together. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean it's a and, great and what, story. Just putting the film together, never made the yeah, film itself. And, and and once you learn how that happened, like you can't help but be in awe of the movie. Like these guys weren't pulling punches. Like this was not a uh, Michael B. Jordan Rocky. This they weren't effects. You know there wasn't a stand-in getting hit. Like Stallone got his butt kicked. Right. Like Carl Williams said he one time he woke up and like it felt like he had uh, had something happened to his mouth and he was missing a tooth. Right. Like they were getting slobber knocked. And um, when you when you find that out, you know, you get a deeper appreciation of of the movie itself. Yeah, no, definitely. Okay, then. Um, So, Chris, uh, just before we go, anything you got to promote Clubhouse and podcast? Oh, yeah. We, all you have to do if you're on Clubhouse, you, you can follow me, um, Chris Barnett, the NBA on CH. Uh, we have a lot of new uh, NBA material coming up. We're hosting more individual team rooms. Uh, but I, I've started a fireside chat series uh, with the Visionaries Club. Uh, it's headed by Emmanuel Martinez of Green Hills Venture. He's an angel VC capitalist guy, but a phenomenal man, does a lot of work for the homeless in New York City. Uh, and we interview those in and out of sport who are dedicated to making the world a better place. Um, so if you are interested in anything like that, we had Kiki and real quick, I'll give you a tease. He's a huge fan of Winston Churchill. He was able to quote him several times. I would quote back Patton cause I'm a huge fan of general Patton. Um, so it's not just about sports. It's about life, about culture uh, and about how we can be effective leaders within our own uh, relative world. Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining us on Across the Pond Sports Podcast. James, I had an absolute blast and I can't wait to be back again. Awesome, man. Thanks so much. Huge thank you to Chris for coming on the show and talking about his life experience and obviously the All-Star Weekend. Wasn't obviously a lot of news to talk about in the NBA this week, but um, All-Star Weekend was semi-eventful. Um Hopefully next year we're COVID-free and we can have like a real proper all-star weekend. Uh, Here's hoping. Um, The league is obviously kicking off um, or tipping off later on this week again. Um, So myself and Ryan will be back next week. So do join us for that. Other than that, enjoy the rest of your week. This will be the last episode for this week. I know it's only Monday or Tuesday, depending on when you're listening to this. Um, Taking a a bit of a, a break Um, as I'm going to be guesting on other podcasts, uh, but you'll be able to see them um, on our social feeds. Um, And we've got some more guests coming up for you in the coming weeks, so look out for those. But for the moment, as I say, have a great week and uh, enjoy your weekend when it comes. Sports Social Podcast Network.